me. Will you go talk to Wendy for me? For what? Just go talk to her and, and be poetic. Tell her she's my muse. No, tell her, tell her she's a continuing source of inspiration to me. She's what? She's a continuing source of inspiration to me. Okay. Hey, w- hey, Wendy. Yeah. Stan says you're a cunt. You're a cunt. Stan says you're a cunt. Cunt. Well, tell Stan cunt. to fuck off. You're a continuing source of inspiration to him. Well, she just walked away, Stan. You're gonna have to face facts. It's over. Session three, the Atlantic City Beer and Music Festival. That may seem random, but if you had the same encounter with some very drunk mother that we just had, you would probably understand what is happening right now. To be fair, I'm not sure that I understand what's happening right now. No. Either way, apparently the same degree I got for $12,000 from Rowan University costs $92,000 now. I don't know. Something weird about it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know, something, but sounds like a bunch of uh, Scott Steiner math, doesn't it? Oh, oh boy, and don't make me pull up another audio oh. clip. Anyway, Steve, it is getting late into the weekend. Sixers game one tomorrow, South Philadelphia, one p.m. Sixers Hawks. We just found out today, Joel Embiid questionable. That seems like the best case scenario for everything that's happened this week. We've talked about it. You've heard about it. You've read about it. There's no real reason to dive into it further. Joel Embiid, a minor tear in his meniscus, but we've heard that we saw in Game 5 he was out there for shoot-around. It was very encouraging for a lot of people. We heard that the past two days it appears he's been limited in practice, has not been full go. Doesn't seem like he's really even tried to go full speed at all. As far as Doc Rivers is concerned, however, Dwight Howard's comments today were actually very positive about Joel Embiid, and he came out and said that he believes Joel Embiid would be available tomorrow. Listen, Dwight Howard is... A freak. A freak. He's been playing very well as of late, in my opinion. We were both very on board with the signing in the beginning, but he does have a history of being, let's say, a bit of a character. Sure. I think is a fair way to put it without without any bias either way. I still don't believe that he says this if he doesn't know that Embiid intends to go tomorrow. And now that doesn't mean he plays. He's obviously going to have to like go out there and try to warm up, try and push it. And if it doesn't feel right, I fully expect him to not play. Yeah. But at the very least, I think that Dwight Howard believes that He will be able to go out there, push it, test it, and suit up for game one. Steve, does that... Do you think that it's all just kind of for show? Do you think that it's all just optimistic thinking? Or do you think there's something to this? Do you think... Do you agree with me in the sense that Dwight's not going to put this out there for the media to consume? I think he's smart enough to know not to do that if it could come back to bite him, which leads me to believe that contrary to my thought for most of the week... Joel Embiid does actually play tomorrow. Whether that means there's a minutes restriction, whether that means, you know, it's it's shorter shifts, whether that means, you know, uh, 
he, he suits up and maybe doesn't even finish the game. You know, the pain tolerance. We saw what happened to Anthony Davis yeah. in game six for the Lakers. They, he goes out. He tries to push it. Even in the warm-up, he gets to the point where he says, yeah, I can go. And then once you get into the real, there's, there's no way to push it to the real game standard until you're in the game. And obviously that came back and really hurt the Lakers. Again, whether he sits or not, they, they lose the game regardless. I guess it doesn't ultimately matter. Their season's over now anyway, so either way, he can get surgery, get rested, do whatever he has to do. But, you know, like how do you read into this? And talk to me kind of, you know, looking at tomorrow with Embiid, without Embiid, you know, what does it change for you? Does it change your thought on, on if they win and, and how so and, and anything else that comes with it? Yeah, so I pretty much agree with you. I I don't think Dwight's necessarily pushing a narrative. I think it's just he he probably sees what he sees and he's you know calling it how he sees it. Uh, that Embiid looks fine, and maybe you know maybe there's a little bit of Dwight maybe not wanting to play as many minutes, and because that's taken away from his uh, frosty freeze out duties oh in the second half. So I mean, uh, but all jokes aside, one thing I haven't noticed that we have seen. In years past, especially toward the beginning of Joel's career, it just seems like anytime he gets hurt, uh, you know, and, and because of COVID, uh, members of the media aren't at practices or anything like that. But you're always finding out some weird tidbits of information that, you know, when they come out that it's, it's just designed to give you anxiety and stress. Like, oh, they said Joel was at practice, but he wasn't practicing. He was just stretching on the sideline like that didn't look good or you know, there is, there hasn't been any of that. Right. Um, so, and it's not like they're pushing this narrative to cover, you know, other details that we may not know yet or anything like that. So I'm, I'm feeling fairly confident now as far as the series against the Hawks. Listen, I, I think um, my opinion is probably what's the consensus. If we have them be available for all or most of the games, this is a, five game series. I agree with that. Uh, if Embiid misses if we go down one and one, you know, it's it's at least gonna be a six game series. So I again I the, the prevailing thought him Are you saying one and one like without Embiid or right like the series one and one. But is that with or without Embiid or does it not matter? That's without Embiid. Okay. And God forbid to go down O two then it, it's a All seven right, game so two. We're not gonna talk about that. Yeah we're not gonna talk about sense that's how it's gonna happen. Right. So I agree. Yeah, I think that I think the thing you're trying to say is if Embiid misses the first two games, I definitely would expect them to split, and that's fine. Yeah. And I said the whole time, if you can get through the first two at home, you know, obviously I think you're better off at home without him than on the road. So if it means that you get him the extra time off, game three isn't till next Friday, right? I believe yes. it's, it's tomorrow's Sunday. They'll play Tuesday. And then I don't think they play Friday, in Atlanta until 11. Friday. Yes. So theoretically, you get him a lot of time off if you make it through the homestand. And then you take him to Atlanta and you say, all right, we split at home. Great. We still own home court. Let's go to Atlanta and make sure we hold on to it. Again, all you technically have to do there is split there to be able to then only have to win the two games at home. You try to you you, you try to right. just get him through enough. The Harden injury tonight, we don't know the extent of it. It just happened. He basically, as soon as he walked on the court, went right back to the locker room. From everything I'm seeing on Twitter, it doesn't sound like it's minor. It sounds like yeah. it's at least something that could be a couple of days. 
I was already in on Milwaukee, but obviously with the Nets being the favorites, at the very least, you've got to imagine a Harden injury it means that series is going long. Um, if you were in on Brooklyn, it definitely has to be that way. If you're in on Milwaukee, it could be short the wrong way. It could be a Milwaukee 4-0, 4-1 type of series. I was already of the belief they could win in five, if not six. If there's no James Harden, yeah. man, like I never even considered it because of the three guys on that team, you know, I kind of expected him to be the one available if nobody else with, with the history that they have of, of guys taking time off. Harden's the guy that, barring actual injury, never misses time, plays a ton of minutes. And because he just had the injury, I figured he was well-rested and wasn't going to necessarily be as, like, burnt out as he has in previous postseasons where he's had to carry a depleted Rockets team there through extended minutes and extended usage throughout an entire season and then carry the team alone in the playoffs as well. So I thought that that was a very fortunate situation for him. But he's really the engine that makes that thing go. When he's there, they are the scariest version of themselves because he's an incredible playmaker and facilitator as well as an elite shooter and scorer. So um, not to get carried away with that Nets-Bucks series. There's a lot to unfold there that will still happen. But to bring it back to Atlanta, when I look at their stats from the first round against New York, Steve, the first question I would ask you is just in a vacuum, not not just the postseason or whatever, but you know your eye test, what you've seen numbers wise throughout the season, whatever, whatever. You know, taking the consideration coaching scheme, all those things. Like, who do you consider to be a better defensive team at their peak, the Sixers or the Knicks? At their peak, sure. I I think it's it's got to be the Sixers, right? Yeah, I agree. So let's look at the Hawks in that series where they win four one over the Knicks. And look at the breakdown. One, they only really go seven deep. When you go beyond the starters, they have two guys that average more than 13 minutes, more than 12 and a half minutes in the series. And it's Danilo Gallinari and Kevin Herter, both uh, right around 24 minutes a game. So their starting five basically has to do everything. And against the Knicks, it didn't seem like it was that hard for them. But still, when you look at the numbers, so Trey Young almost averages 30 a game, 29.2. They don't have another guy. Again, I just told you all the starters playing insanely heavy minutes. They don't have a second guy who averaged 15 points a game. Yeah. They don't have it. That was Bogdan, and he averaged 14.4. We know because he's basically a three-point shooter how much that can fluctuate. And again, against a good defensive team, you kind of expect that that number to sit where it is. Again, I would expect across the board mostly for this Hawks team against what what I think is a tougher matchup against Philadelphia. For a lot of these numbers have declined. So the thing that I look at most in a series with Atlanta and beat or not is that I just don't feel like the Hawks have that second guy. No. And the Sixers are very capable of defending one guy. Like if you look, if you compare the Hawks and the Wizards, again the Sixers dispatched the Wizards four one. Could have been a sweep. The Embiid injury mid game game four really kind of threw them uh, off a little bit, I would say. But still, you know, give the Wizards their win. Whatever, I don't really care. If you t- took the Wizards roster and you took the Hawks roster, two of the three best players are on Washington. Yeah. If you ask me, it's Beal 1, Trey 2, Russ 3, and you know I hate Russ. Yeah. I don't value Russ nearly as much as most people, and I would still say he's the third best player on either team today. 
Yeah. Now, like, if we're talking, oh, like, potential, future, who would I take on my team, it's a different conversation. But if you're like, hey, who's the best player on the floor today? It's Bradley Beal and then Trey Young, and then it's Russell Westbrook. So you just dispatched the team that had two of the top three players between these two teams in five games, could have easily been four, and people are scared of, of what's about to happen. People are scared that John Collins and DeAndre Hunter are going to shut down Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris. I don't think so, man. No. See, I'm going to ask you another question now. In a vacuum or this season or in the playoffs, I think the answer is the same across all three. Who's a better player? Julius Randle or Tobias Harris? Hmm. Tobias, come on. It's Tobias Harris. Ten times out of ten. I don't think it's that close. I know that we are pro Tobias Harris, but I even think at this point that a lot of people would tell you the same whether they're a Sixers fan or not. I'm sorry. Like, Julius Randle, he had an incredible season. Good for him. One most improved player. Carry that Knicks team to a four seed. A great story. All the praise is well-deserved. But a lot of his numbers come from usage rate and from minutes. It, it's ju- it just is what it is. And when you take Tobias's numbers, you have to understand that they come at the expense of playing with Joel Embiid, with Ben Simmons, with a very deep team. But we saw what happened in that first round. Game one takes over the game 37 points without Embiid in game five, has a tremendous game. It is basically the offensive focal point. We've seen Tobias Harris carry a team offensively now in postseason games as well, where you saw if you watched any of Knicks Hawks round one, Julius Randle crumbled under the pressure. He had an absolutely abysmal series. You can chalk it up to Thibodeau and the usage rate and wear and tear. You can chalk it up to he hadn't been here in a while and he doesn't really have much of a playoff resume as it is. So, you know, we, we've we've certainly learned as Sixers fans that your first time through can be a struggle. We saw it with Ben Simmons. We've seen it with Joel Embiid. It happens. So, you know, it, it's not necessarily that I'm trying to tear down Julius Randle, but to act like the Hawks really just did anything that matters, especially as it relates to the Sixers, I think is naive. I think it's irresponsible. And I think it clearly tells me that if you're thinking that way, you don't know ball. Yeah. During, you know, during everything you just said, just kind of occurred to me. It's funny how Thibodeau has a, a history of running teams, you know, into the playoffs and just crashing them. He just runs those teams into, into the ground. And it's just, I don't know, it's kind of ironic that, like, wh- who's probably the fattest coach in the NBA just, you know, grinds his players down, like, way too much. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of things here. Now, I will say, going back to our Tobias and Randall comparisons, you know, I think Randall kind of gets the benefit of, one, playing in New York because I just had this feeling that if the shoe were, you know, things were vice versa, the shoe was on the other foot, like, I could see people in New York arguing Tobias being better than Julius Randle. Um, and also the main, the other big difference between those is that Randle's the guy in New York, whereas Tobias is our number three. Now, that's not a knock on Tobias at all because we're a Tobias Hires podcast. You should all know that by now. But uh, but that's what I love about Tobias. He's just a silent assassin. There's been times like he just has a really good game, but you also it doesn't quite pop or you don't notice it as much because 
you have Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons on the floor at the very same time. Um, but yeah, and I I think Atlanta win. A lot of people were just not at all surprised. I know you said it pretty much. I've said it. I just always felt that the Knicks were probably the most fraudulent four seed ever in the NBA playoffs. Probably, and, yeah. Uh, and again, like Trey Young, he's fantastic, fantastic, and he has a great guy. But like no one on the Knicks can like really defend him one on one. And he now, was going against Derrick Rose, Reggie Bullock, yeah. R.J. Barrett. Like, come on, what, yeah, what they, are we really talking? They're about not here? doing shit. Now he's going up against Ben Simmons, Matisse. I mean, like, just those two itself is is going to be very, very interesting. And I think I think George Hill and Tyrese Maxey are better defenders than anybody the Knicks threw at him. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You go that deep. I wouldn't argue that. Yeah. You go that deep. And when you look in the team aspect of it all, another thing, something the Sixers have struggled with in the past, especially in the postseason, is turnovers. And in round one, they were really good as far as their, like, turnover ratio, their assisted turnover ratio, the amount of turnovers they created versus the amount of ones they committed. Again, it's a bad Washington team. But when you look at the Hawks against a a Knicks team that we just talked about, how poorly they played overall, dude, nobody on that team averaged more than .6 steals a game except for Bogdan at 1.4. And I'm sorry, Bogdan's not a defensive player to me. So, like, even that number seems like fool's gold. For the Sixers... Five players averaged a steal or better in that series. Embiid, Danny Green, Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris, and Matisse Thybul. You go yeah. to you go to blocks. Four players on the Sixers averaged at least a block a game in the series. Tyrese Maxey, Dwight Howard, Matisse Thybul, Danny Green. Oh wow. The Sixers are turnover machines. They are disruptors. They are a defensive force. And again, I honestly believe that they faced more offensive firepower from a Wizards team that they took care of very easily than they are about to see in an Atlanta team that really lives and dies via one guy who is in his first real primetime moment. And we just talked about the growing pains that come with that. And I think you're about to see Trey Young experience them because he sure didn't experience it with the Knicks, but you know it's due. Yeah, and I think, uh, listen, with that, how young he is, and, you know, he, he ain't getting past us in the second round. And I think a couple things are going to happen to the Hawks that in the short term aren't going to be encouraging, but will pay off in the long term. One, he's going up against, you know, all of our defenders. And I think part of what's going to happen is we're just going to throw all these guys at him. And I think he's just going to get tired. Then once he gets tired, he ain't hitting, you know, these threes from the logo or any of that bullshit. I, I think he isn't going to be as hot as he was against New York because they had no one on the perimeter to defend him. And then if Trey Young has a bad game, who's scoring? Like, who's replacing that production? As great as, you know, Bogdanovich can get hot and so can Herter. I mean, they're, they're not going to, like, scare us, especially with our defense. So no. Uh, I mean, that's why I'm confident. I think that's just one of the things that people are really overlooking, that the lack of experience and, you know, just the the difference between us and the Knicks. I mean, it's it's really much – it's far greater than people are giving it credit for. I I think that's a great way to put it. I think the easiest way to summarize the whole thing is – the difference between us and the Knicks is so much greater than the difference between the Hawks and the Wizards. Right. So when you figure what's going to be the bigger 
you know, adjustment that has to be made? Is it going to come from the Sixers or is it going to come from the Hawks? It's going to be the Hawks. And do you think that they're capable? I just don't know. Now, player efficiency rating is not a great, like, end-all, be-all statistic. Yeah. I, I mean, nothing is. Obviously, all these things have to be taken with a grain of salt. But, again, I've talked at length at this point about how Atlanta only goes seven deep. And you could argue even going seven deep is a little bit tough for them. Gallinari and Herter being your sixth and seventh guys deep into the playoffs is pretty bad news. But regardless, you look at the first round, the Hawks only had six players with a player efficiency rating over 8.32. So it's basically the top six. It's the starters and herder. Gallinari doesn't even qualify for that. The yeah. Sixers had 10 players at 10 or greater in PER in the first round. You eliminate best uh, B-ball Paul because that's garbage time. He barely played. Yeah. But everybody else was an actual contributor. You're talking George Hill, Maz, Seth Curry, Danny Green, Joel Embiid. Matisse Seibel, Tyrese Maxey, Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris, like every single guy contributing in meaningful minutes across the series. I think that Atlanta, even if you believe in that starting five, which like it's a talented group, it's not a knock on them. They're young. They're going to get better. This has been a good season for them. Nate McMillan has done a pretty good job stepping in. For our guy Lloyd Pierce, you know, really unfortunate going for him. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't really know how to explain it, but it kind of seemed like he was set up to fail. There's a whole thing I was listening to on a podcast this week about how uh, basically it seemed like Bogdan was ready to come back from an injury, but they weren't going to bring him back till they made the coaching change because if Bogdan came back, then maybe they would have been successful. And then Lloyd Pierce isn't really in line to lose his job, so they kind of set it up. Whereas, like, all right, we got to fire Lloyd Pierce before Bogdan comes back because once he does, the team might play well and ruin our agenda. And sure enough, once Bogdan came back from an injury, the Hawks played really well. So could have been that, could have been Nate McMillan, combination of both. Not to take away from Nate McMillan, but I do feel bad for Lloyd Pierce. But, again, my point, even if you believe in the Atlanta starting five that you think they can hang with the Sixers, they're going to get beat up. They're going to play a lot of minutes against a Sixers team that opponents throughout the entire season have described as physical, as bullies, as wearing you down with their size, their strength, their athleticism. Like, the longer that series goes, like, I'm not even sure that it goes very long, but the longer it goes, it favors the Sixers, actually, with or without Embiid. Right. And, dude, can you imagine Embiid comes back, and what's one of the best things that everyone in the NBA absolutely fucking hates about him, but we love his ability to get people in foul trouble. Yep. You run seven deep, and... What happens if Clint Capella's in foul trouble? Yeah, Clint Capella and uh, Gallinari. Like, who's who's stopping Joel Embiid? Like... I don't know. I I mean, and what are you going to do? Like, get a cold lemon pepper Lou off the bench to try, like... You know, yeah. Like they, they're, they're not, they're not going to be in a position to really play small ball, or I just don't really see much of. Um, I, I don't know how many options they really have, but I mean, the bench doesn't go. I mean, what are you going to bring Kevin or uh, Chris Dunn yeah. out so that he can try and fight Shake Milton? I mean, there, there's, yeah. there's not anything. Lou Williams is honestly the only guy. Again, he hasn't really been heavily in the rotation, but you know his track record speaks for itself. Everybody knows Sweet Lou, so I don't know. Maybe he's somebody that you fear they somehow unleash and, you know, in any minutes that he, maybe he spells Trey, he's able to do the same things Trey can do against us. We've talked about Trey's historical success against us. He's had some great games. It doesn't seem like 
a matchup for like Ben Simmons to take on specifically. But like we talked about last night, we were talking about Tyrese Maxey and Matisse Thybul. I think especially in a game without Embiid, Thibault's going to get the start and be placed right on Trey Young. Yeah. And you can afford it because even if Trey baits him in the foul trouble, you're not asking Matisse to play heavy minutes. So he can rack up the fouls and still be okay. If you have Joel available, number one, you have him to protect the rim, which helps your entire defense overall. Yeah. And then maybe you decide to put a Seth Curry or a Danny Green on Trey a little bit because all you need them to do is just funnel him to Joel. Maybe uh, Ben do it a little bit, and then Matisse comes in and spells him. So that's fine as well. Either way, they have the answer for that. And again, I just think that not only are they better equipped to deal with Trey Young than the Knicks were, I don't think the Hawks have the second guy, regardless of what the Sixers are. But even if you say, hey, this guy could step up, I trust the Sixers' like personnel matchups they have with these guys. I trust Tobias Harris to guard Collins or DeAndre Hunter. I trust Ben Simmons yeah. to take another one of those two if he's not guarding Trey Young. You know, Danny Green on DeAndre Hunter is a fine matchup with me, or him on Bogdan's fine with me. Seth Curry is the guy that doesn't have a great matchup. Like I said, if you have Joel, maybe you stick him on Trey and just you know kind of shift him toward Joel and yeah. let. And if he wants to settle for the long shots. You let him because at this point, Trey Young still hasn't proven that if you force him to shoot from the outside consistently, that he could win a playoff series. Has he had games where he does it successfully? Yeah. Can he shoot? Yes. But his real bread and butter is the drive and kick, whether it's the drive, which he is a very good finisher for his size and everything. He also averaged almost 10 assists a game in that series while averaging over 29 points. So clearly doing it all clearly doing the playmaking off of his scoring and being successful with that, it really just comes down to I don't know what they're able to do if Trey Young's not putting up those numbers again, and I don't see how he does that against this Sixers team with or without Joel Embiid. Yeah, and one thing I think a lot of local media and people are just kind of not really paying attention to is the the coaching matchup. Uh, I know you touched on it a little bit with uh, Nate McMillan. I will preface this by saying, like, look, Atlanta's a young team. They're an up-and-coming team. It, it's a fun team. Like, if I'm a Hawks fan, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling very optimistic of what the future yeah, holds. all 10 Hawks fans seem very, very optimistic yeah. about the team. Yeah, if you're one of the 10, you should be. good for you. I'm, so. not, I'm not mad at you for being confident. I'm not mad at you for, like, talking some shit. But just understand that we have the receipts and we're coming for you. We got the receipts, baby. Now, I'm going to throw some uh, statistics at you. Please. So, Nate McMillan. 58 career playoff games. He's gone 21 and 37. Not great. With a .362 winning percentage. Now, this is mostly Indiana, right? And, and Seattle. Oh, wow. Yeah. That, and, that's and, right. So th- and only in one time has one of his teams advanced past the second round. And that's the 2004-2005 Seattle Supersonics. Wow. A team that doesn't even exist anymore. That's how far back you have to go. Doc Rivers. I just love how when we hired him, everyone was so excited. We finally got the veteran coach, someone championship caliber. It's almost as if I feel people kind of forgotten about that a little bit. I agree Do- with that. Doc Rivers in 185 playoff games. So... Three, three and a half times the amount of games that Nate McMillan has played. No, more than three, for sure. Yeah. A 95 and 90 record. Okay. 
not above them. 500. I mean, for, and given it's that many games. So we're talking mostly Celtics and Cl- Celtics, uh, like the big three era, and then and we're talking Lob City Clippers. Correct. A 0.51%, so, you know, a little bit over 50%. He's got one, one chip, two Eastern Conference Finals appearances. So they had a Western Conference Finals appearance, didn't they? The Clippers? No. No. His only two conference final appearances have come in the East. Okay. Which is uh, interesting. Now, I think there's things that statistics don't tell you. One, Nate McMillan, he, between Seattle and Indiana and Atlanta, these are small market teams. He doesn't have, you know, he hasn't had the teams that, Doc, I mean, Doc's championship, that's when. They got the, the year after they got Garnett and Ray, Ray Allen, Allen, you know, and, and then Lob Ball City, Pierce. great team. Ray they, John Rondo. Yeah. So Doc has had, you know, played in bigger markets, more star power. But as good of, of a job Nate McMillan has done with this team in the regular season, I don't see what he can throw at Doc Rivers or anyone on the Sixers that's going to give them a competitive edge. Oh, I agree with that. I mean, they, like, they don't have the guys to do anything special. No. They just don't. And, I mean, you know, those 10 Atlanta Hawk fans are going to be like, all right, this is all season where we got to get the sidekick or, you know, the, the 1B option to Trey Young. And I think this is just, you know, they're going to hit a wall. No, I, com- I completely yeah. agree. I think that, again, I think the Embiid doomsday thing has taken people too far. Way too the far. The wrong way. And I think Atlanta is... Like, they're a year away from being a real threat. You have to go through the growing pain of facing a top seed and getting a little bit embarrassed, and I think that's what's about to happen. And I say, again, like, I don't have an anti-Atlanta agenda. I think they're a fun team. Outside of this series, I don't really want to have any ill will toward Trey Young, even though starting tomorrow, he's the enemy. Fuck him. He's balding already. (laughs) He he can't can't be the number one guy on a team. Mm -mm. All those things starting tomorrow, they're fair game. But for the most part, I I don't really want to have to slander him. You you just have to go through the growing pains. You have to earn your stripes. You have to get there. He hasn't done it. The Hawks haven't done it. Nate McMillan hasn't done it. And listen, that, that was and us. That was the Sixers. Exactly. Not, that was us. We've yeah. done it. We've earned the right to be here. We've earned the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. And we've earned the way to advance. And this is the year that we do it. it yes. It's been two years of bullshit. Kawhi shot bullshit. COVID Mickey Mouse bubble bullshit. It's, do- it's done. There's no qualifiers. There's no asterisks. This team is that fucking good. And that's it. And then you're going to get the winner of Brooklyn, Milwaukee, and we'll talk about it then. And you know, I'm not I'm not saying anything beyond that at this point because we're in the you know we're in the mud. We need B-Ball Paul to get us out the mud. Yes, Steve, your official prediction: Sixers Hawks. Official prediction: Sixers and six. That's right, baby. Sixers and six. I'm saying if Joel Embiid plays every game, it doesn't go past five. No. I don't care if there's a minutes restriction. I don't care if he's 75%. He starts every game, they win in five. Yeah. If he misses one to two games, it's still in six. If he doesn't play the series, it's probably seven. I don't think that's a, a reality. No. He's going to play at some point. Now, whether you know he finishes the series is another conversation. That there's no reason to speculate on it, but assuming he gets back at any point, this thing's over in six. Yeah. 
Niger. All right. So sixes and six. You heard it here. Process Potables Atlantic City Beer Fest Session Three. See, before we go, did you know that today, twenty years ago, was the step over? Oh, okay. Twenty years ago today, Game One, NBA Finals, Sixers Lakers. Iverson hits the shot from the corner on the baseline. Ty Lue falls down. Iverson steps over Ty Lue. The Sixers go on the win game one, shock the world, and then the Lakers kick the shit out of him in four games, yeah. and that's the end. Steve, my question to you isn't necessarily about the step over itself, but I want to see if you have an answer and if you do what your answer is, because I think this is a difficult question even for diehards such as ourselves. In our lifetime of the Sixers, so we're talking the late 80s until today, what's the second most iconic moment in this franchise's history? In this franchise's history? Yeah, what is it for you? Because the, mo- the stepovers won, right? You don't have anything above that at this point? No, there's... Uh, there I mean, nothing... Be. And the fact that nothing's coming to mind, like, there, there's just... There's nothing. I'm going to tell you the only thing I have. Okay. I have one moment. And it's clearly not the step over, but it's far and away number two, and I don't know what number three is. Number two is the Embiid windmill against Toronto into the airplane. Mm. And that's kind of fucking sad. Yeah. It's a little bit sad. The only other thing I could... Maybe this is your number three or four, but uh, the Iguodala... Uh, in that meaningless playoff series Hitting against free throws? Yeah. Like, you know. Other than the sheer rarity that he hits two free throws, yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess. Which is really that's, sad. That's but how sad it is. Dude, honestly, it might be him being the runner-up in the dunk contest that he should have won. Yeah. That might be it. It sucks, man. Yeah, it dude. It really sucks. We deserve another moment. I'm not saying it's step-over level, but it's close. It's at least number three. Like, number three is coming in the, this playoffs. If not number two, if they make the finals, we could definitely be in talks of a new number one. I'm really excited for it. Obviously, you know, all due respect to the step over. Legendary. The, the greatest moment in my Sixers lifetime by far. I think you would agree. Yes. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, other than that, it's like winning draft lottery. Yeah. Like, and- it, it really fucking sucks. Yeah. And we have the benefit of hindsight knowing that that's as far as Iverson and that team ever went, unfortunately. Correct. And that happened over 20 years ago. We were teenagers. It's really hard to make fair comparisons how we felt then as we do now. But I don't know, man. There's just something about this team, something uh, to quote the ultimate warrior, the way the stars and the planets align. There's just something, man, that it tells me that, you know, we're just in this new era of awesomeness and I'm just feeling really fucking good man and I just think those Iverson years as much as we enjoyed them they will not be the best years no. of this franchise well I mean I think I think we can agree this era is more enjoyable than that era was already I th- uh, despite what the <sighs> remaining results are just because of the continued better success and just the idea that even in the other years where they've come up pretty short that the potential was there far beyond that Iverson team, which even in that run, you knew was just a little bit fraudulent. Yeah, we knew that game one, like, that was our one. Like, right. I think everyone... So, I mean, you know, 
whether you feel that way or not is fine. You're entitled to your opinion. I wouldn't slander anybody over feeling the other way, but I'm already at the point where this era absolutely trumps that. But the point is, is that this season has to be the best shot that they've ever had in my entire lifetime, and even before my lifetime, most likely. And I'm not going to let any media people and any dumb hypothetical Twitter bullshit questions Mm -hmm. and polls. Don't get me started. Take away from that while we're still in it. We haven't even played game one yet. So... So there are no fucking cowards allowed. No fucking cowards. I do want to go back because even before that bullshit we talked about not even two hours ago, I started out this feeling that, you know, of some sort of conspiracy theory that the media just has against the Sixers and especially Ben Simmons. Well, he took the local or the nationals. It feels like the local media hates this fucking team. Yeah. And like, I, he's the best defensive player in the league. In the league. Yeah, he doesn't throw up, you know, a ton of bullshit shots. But if you actually watch the last series, we just won. That's what Russell Westbrook did. And Bradley Beal, he's a scorer. He got his buckets, even with the best defense in his face. And guess where he ended up? Going fucking home as a number eight seed. So would you want to trade Ben Simmons for just a guy who shoots up shit? And sure, he'll give you 25 points a game. But is he going to offer you anything else that's going to push you to contending for a title? No. No. And I just want to point out that, you know, prior Defensive Player of the Year actual award winners, such as Rudy Gobert, Hmm. such as Giannis Antetokounmpo, Hmm. this entire season have gotten fucking torched by bad players. Good players, bad players, it doesn't matter. They don't strike fear into anybody. You know who strikes fear? You know who you don't want to see across from you? Do you you know, like, the video, the gif, whatever it is, of that heat... Spurs final when LeBron's at the free throw line and sees Kawhi check back in and he's like, shit, like, I don't want him in here. That's Ben Simmons, man. That's That's Ben Ben Simmons. Simmons. I'm so tired of it. And the thing is, when you're not a 30-point scorer on the other end, you're allowed to focus your energy on that. Yes. There's a reason that Giannis isn't able to do it all the time because he's the number one offensive option as well. Yeah. It's a a blessing. It's not a curse. It's a blessing, not a curse. And... Again, like, it almost seems like the media and, you know, a lot of our fans have it out for Embiid because people say, oh, he's so weak mentally. Like, like, okay, how does, like, being quote-unquote mentally weak hurt your knee? Like, there's no literal physical emotion, no connection whatsoever. No. That, that cannot happen. And, again, with the fucking Twitter doctors and people, like, I think the media, they, they hear the, the word, you know, uh, AC uh, meniscus tear. He's because usually you associate those words with shit. He's out for the year. Oh, you associate and, those things with like Carson Wentz. Yeah, which like that. Okay, that's fair. But there, but also just admit you're not a fucking doctor. Then. Yeah, admit you're not fucking you doctors. And then doctors. Um, there's a really good article in the Athletic. I forget his name, but there's some sort of orthopedic doctor that's. He's popular on YouTube. Are you about the pro football doc guy? Maybe. And, like, he goes on videos and he talks about the injuries. And it's, like, really good information. Oh, well, then that's not him. Never mind, because so, he's a fraud. Yeah, so, but he goes on to talk about how, you know, the meniscus tear, it's a real gray area and that it can mean a lot of things. And he said, you know, they said that the Sixers' diagnosis of him being day-to-day was, was very fair. And he sees no problem with it. And... Okay, I'm, you know, an idiot that's 
paraphrasing what a doctor said, but people don't even want to, like, they just see tear, like, oh, he's done, he's over, he's a coward, he's weak. He, well, it's like, not even that they see the tear parts, they see the name Joel Embiid and they assume it's over and that he's done. Yeah. It doesn't even have to do with the injury or the language around it or the body parts around it or whatever. It has to do with the fact that, you know, that's what the me- the local media and the national media yeah. conditioned the average person to assume. Yes, and another thing as well as... Uh, Speaking of Embiid, I know some people are like, oh, he, he just needs to go out there and play through the blah, blah. Like, dude, I know That's in the what past. what he's going to do. Yeah, I know in the past we've had trust issues with the Sixers medical staff, okay? You know, but here's my thing. I think a lot of people are just having this anxiety, you know, this bad juju, or they feel like there's a jinx, you know, for lack of better words, you know, with how LeBron has been and Anthony Davis with their injuries and now possibly Harden. I think people are like, wow, like he, you know, he, we got to worry about him. But I think the bigger takeaway is like, you got to do what you got to do with Embiid. And it's not so much, uh, not because of all these, I don't give a shit about all these other players. My thing is like, if these teams and players are getting bounced because of injury, I want a healthy fucking Joel Embiid come finals time. Because it can make our path. Conference finals. Yeah, conference. You know, it can make our path, you know, tad bit easier and gives a little bit more of an advantage. So, yeah, you need them for the conference finals. All brash arrogance aside, all optimism aside, obviously, Atlanta will still be difficult without him, but I believe they can do it if they have to. I don't think they're going to have to do it, so it really doesn't matter. But even if they did, you know, as much as I don't believe in Brooklyn, I've been on the, the Milwaukee train for a while, as most people know. Either way, you're not beating either of them without Embiid. But even 75% of Embiid, I feel pretty good about the matchup with either of them. Like I've said, even in my hypeness of the Milwaukee Bucks, I have never been of the belief that, you know, overall I would pick them in a series over the Sixers, especially when we have home court. So that was mostly dependent on having Joel Embiid available. And again, I think everything they're doing is really with that in mind. It was the same reason why I think that, like, if Game 5 against the Wizards was the NBA Finals, I think he's out there. Oh, yeah. I really do. I think it really was a matter of they said, we can beat them without him, so can we please just do it to give our guy some time? He's gotten some time. We'll see what happens tomorrow. Obviously, that may change our tune. I think we'll probably do... What do you want to do? A pod after the game Tuesday is probably the best case. Probably, the first yeah, two I think games. So. so. We'll definitely get another pod out there on Tuesday. Uh, we might still be back with, you know, maybe another interview from a brewer or maybe to recap a couple more beers. But this will probably be the end of most of our Sixers content for the weekend. So uh, if there's nothing else, just thank you, everybody, for the support. Thanks, everybody, who came over to the tent. Thanks to the NA City Beer and Music Festival. Thanks to Good Time Tricycle. Thanks to John. Thanks to Bree. Thanks to the other podcasts in the, in the tent with us. They've all been super friendly. They've all been awesome. Really fun. The breweries that came over and talked to us. The breweries that brought us beer. The breweries that poured us beer. All the vendors, everything. Steve and Corey, can't thank you enough for helping me do this. Um, you know, to Gwen, to Rob, to Caitlin, who came out and helped us or, or came on the show or did their part. Really appreciate it. So thank you, everybody. Um, if there's nothing else, I would love to get, you know, another interview or two, so we'll see what happens. But just want to make sure we are all tied up if we need to get there. So thanks, everybody, at Process Potables on all social media. Appreciate the support. Go Sixers. Sixers and Six. You heard it here across the board. Damn no right. cowards allowed. Fuck the Hawks. Trey Young is balding. Eat shit and trust the podcast. <laughs>